Hey, this is Todd Stacy and Mary Sell. Welcome to In the Weeds with Alabama Daily News. Uh, we're at the end of another legislative week, um, a, a long legislative week, and we have another influential and interesting guest. And Mary, I'll let you introduce him. Very excited this morning to be talking to Senator Chris Elliott from Baldwin County. He's been very busy the last couple of weeks. His, there have been some big bills flying around and some interesting sort of behind the scenes things going on, going on, and he's been involved with a lot of it. So thank you for your time this morning, Senator. Thank you all for having me on. So I want to start, it didn't happen this week, and actually it didn't, in theory, it didn't even happen this year. But I want to go back to a story that, that we wrote early uh, two weeks ago about police jurisdictions. And I I texted Todd a couple weeks ago and I was like, hey, I've got this really good story about police jurisdictions. And I... Yeah, re really sexy topic. Sexy, sexy topic. But it is really interesting. And I think it's fair to say, Senator, that you are not a fan of police jurisdictions. I, I think you could be safe saying that, you know, <laughs> going, going all the way back to my county commission days when I couldn't explain to my constituents while they were being taxed, policed and regulated by folks, you know, the city council folks that they couldn't vote for. So we've been right. we've been looking at these for a long time. And to, to recap the most current situation, because you've had multiple pieces of legislation since you entered uh, the legislature in 2018, but you passed a bill in 2021 that, that among other things said that if you collect taxes in a police jurisdiction, municipalities, you have to report every year how much money you collect and the services you provide in those police jurisdictions. And again, police jurisdictions are the, those stretches of area outside a corporate limit where where cities do provide some services and they collect a lower tax rate from residents, from businesses there. Um, but they were to report what they were, what they were getting in revenue and what they were giving in return. And it turns out a lot of them didn't do that. Yeah, 128 of them that the Department of Examiners of Public Accounts uh, thought were, were collecting some sort of tax fine or fee in that area um, didn't didn't follow the statute and didn't report um, what they were doing. And it's important to note that um, that the, the statute that allows police jurisdiction prior to the passage of, of my amending that statute had always said that that municipalities are required to spend that money that they collected in the police jurisdiction on the people in the police jurisdiction. But there was no reporting requirement and no way to check that. So we added one in and even added in the statute, the, the, a very simple kind of one-page form, uh, so it was not cumbersome at all, to really justify that. And unfortunately, like we said, uh, 128 of those municipalities decided not to not to submit that form. And there is a pretty significant uh, sentence in that law that says, if you do not comply, you can't collect money anymore. So now all of a sudden we've got 128 cities who can't collect tax revenue, business licenses, um, and other assorted fees in those police jurisdictions. And I, I, my understanding is that for some of them, that is going to be significant. It is. Uh, and I had, you know, have told folks early on, I, I think this is probably one of the largest reduction in taxes and, <laughs> and fees that we've seen in recent history. 
Um, unfortunately, I can't quantify that because they didn't submit the report. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I think that when you start adding up the millions and millions, probably tens to hundreds of millions of dollars statewide, this is a huge reduction in in taxes and fines and fees to small businesses and to um, to individuals in those areas. And this is all they're doing. Right. This is they mm -hmm. decided not to collect and or not to report. And therefore, they are not able to collect. Well, we talked about like on the Capitol Journal the other day, we talked about your surprise that because in Mary's reporting and she talked to several of these cities, towns that said, well, we didn't know about it. We didn't know this was coming. And, you know, but the League of Municipalities said, look, we've been talking about this for. And they have. You know, I get so their emails. And, it's all over their website. Yeah. And like, so and so you expressed some surprise like I, don't, I think you said you didn't really buy it that they didn't know. Yeah, I think there was one of two things going on there or well, maybe three, but but at least one thing for sure. One, um, I think some of these municipalities kind of did some back of the napkin math and said, there's no way we can justify the money that we're collecting. And we probably ought not to have been collecting it for a while because we aren't in compliance with the existing statute. And now that we have to demonstrate our compliance with the statute, we're just going to not file the report and uh, because we're not going to be able to meet the requirements of the statute anyway. And we'll blame it, if you will, on on the fact that we didn't file the report. But we were never meeting the requirements of the statute and we can't now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's likely. I do okay. think you have some small municipalities out there that are not plugged in, that are not that are not paying attention, that don't go to the league functions, that don't read the league notices, that don't read the um Alabama you know, Daily the notices News. from the Department of Revenue. That don't, yeah, they don't read Alabama <laughs> Daily News exactly. Um, that, that that are not dialed in on what's going on, and may very well be a small, small, you know, mayor plus a, a clerk type of operation in a city that's a less than a thousand people that has a very small, very, very small one or two person operation. Yeah, and if that's the case, you have to wonder: Do they have any business if they're that small? trying to exercise authority and tax and police and regulate folks in this, you know, this wide ranging police jurisdiction. And mm -hmm. I think that 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 point was made. If you can't really you're so small that you almost can't take care of your business of even understanding what what the requirements are. And, and no, you know, I'm not, not cast in stones, but do you really have any business trying to exercise extraterritorial yeah, jurisdictions? I get if it. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. hey, so, so I'm curious about something because, well, if nothing else, this story allowed me to again use that uh, <laughs> frequently used clip art that you love so much senator uh, of, the, of the police jurisdiction sign and, and the state trooper pulling somebody over i know that's one of your favorites um but so because so I, I grew up in prattville and there is a there's a police jurisdiction that extends beyond the city like i don't know a couple of miles what is the why isn't that why do cities not incorporate that in to city limits? What, what, what is it? Some kind of annexation issue? Is it people have to vote? Like, what? Why does? Why do these things exist in the first place? Well, that's a good question, and I think that cities like like two things, right? They like having the additional revenue that comes in, um, but without having too much responsibility associated with it. So it's like water and sewer and stuff like that. 
Right. And they, they well, not just that, but, you know, it, it's it's solid waste disposal type stuff. It's um, it's road infrastructure is, a, is, of course, a big driver. Right. So they, they're not responsible for for um, for roads in those areas. So it's it's kind of, hey, we get some of the cream, but we don't have to do the work you know, associated yeah. with it, okay. but they do, they also do like the control that comes with it. Right. So uh, another, another aspect of my bill removed the ability of, of municipalities to enforce municipal ordinances outside their municipal limits. So previously in the police jurisdiction, you had all these municipal ordinances that could be enforced. And again, these are folks that live in the County that are being told by city council people uh, you know, about dust laws and leash laws and sign ordinances and, and, and uh, you know, all of these other things, uh, land use ordinances and things like that, that hmm. that are not, you know, not really something that should be enforced outside the, the city limits. So I think municipalities like the revenue without a lot of the responsibility and they liked a lot of the control that came with it so that they could influence what was happening around them. Um, and And I think it'll be interesting to see now that you have a lot of these folks not being able to get the revenue, do they take the next logical step, which is to say, we're going to stop enforcing our police jurisdiction altogether and get back to our municipal limits, which which to your point, Todd, I think says it's time to annex. And I think you'll actually see municipalities grow when they stop giving away these services for not as much money. And, and I think you'll see people that are used to some of that control in some places say, oh, actually, I, I want to be in the city now. So, I, and I think you'll see more of an mm. effort by municipalities to annex now. And we should say that about 200 cities did turn in their, their forms. They have complied with the law. Um, what, what's the next step? And I think they just had to turn in that, that first year of paperwork um, recently. Well, what's the next step there? Are you going to, looking at look at some of these forms and seeing how much cities are actually generating in these areas yeah mary that's that's that is the next step and we've already started that process with uh with the examiners to look at what was turned in and i'll tell you there were a couple dozen or so that were really pretty troubling um Hmm. you know where you had a municipality that said that they responded to you know that 98 percent of all emergency calls they responded to were in the police jurisdiction Hmm. and not in their city. Well, I mean, that's preposterous, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder, is this a mistake or is this trying to justify some numbers? What What's going on here? Or small, small towns of 600 people or so that are saying they've, they've raised $11 million in their police jurisdiction. <laughs> well, that's not right. And, and so there's some things when you're submitting an official report to the examiner of public accounts that has really some pretty glaring either mistakes or exaggerations you know you have to wonder what's going on and the the process for that is to take these folks um these reports and present them to the committee on public accounts which which then can decide hey we need to send the examiner back to these municipalities at the municipality's expense uh usually to analyze what what's going on here and mm-hmm. and and are you are you doing what you need to be doing they submitted the report they complied with the statute but it's really pretty pretty far off and and i think in year one what we're going to do is just really take about a dozen or so that are really glaring and look at those and then just kind of see how this goes year over year interesting mm. let's if we can move on to the also sexy topic of uh, <laughs> occupational licensing. 
Um, it, there's a, you know, folks, folks that listen to this podcast are pretty plugged into Alabama politics. So they understand the term sunset. And like, there's this process um, every year where the legislature goes through this kind of housekeeping process of reauthorizing a lot of licensure boards from across the state. Um, but that process became fraught this year and interesting. And you kind of upset the apple cart by pointing out some things that you didn't agree with and about some of these occupational licensing boards, the process, the leadership, the duplication. Walk me through what your issue was and what actually happened. Sure. I, I don't think I've ever met an apple cart that I met, you know, that I didn't think needed to be upset. So, um, so this is, this is par for the course, I guess. That's, that's fair. Um, I, you know, I looked at this starting back in the summer and, and really getting into occupational licensing reform as a whole. And, and you saw a bill that I filed that really tried to narrow down the, the bureaucratic functions of, of these occupational licensing. There, there's a report that Troy University put out in connection with the Alabama Policy Institute that's really got some age on it now. It's about eight or 10 years old, but it found that almost 23% of all employees uh, in Alabama um, fell really under the purview of these occupational licensing boards and, and that there's a bunch of them. I mean, a whole lot of them, and they have their own bureaucracies associated with them, right? They've got their own executive director. They they hire out these um, these general counsels sometimes that don't work for the AG's office. They, um, you know, they've got their own uh, investigators, staff, vehicles, real estate, the whole thing, and it, they're just siloed. And you have to wonder sometimes how are other states doing this, and is there a more efficient way to um, to, to manage these boards. And you look at Virginia and Florida and Georgia, all of whom have all of this kind of housed under one roof so that the, the, the person processing the license for the cosmetologist who's checking, you know, hey, do they have a criminal background? Hey, did they complete the continuing ed requirements? Hey, did they pay their fee? Let's not forget that, right? So did they pay their fee? C can that person that's processing that license not, not also process the license for the locksmith board? And, and the answer, of course, is yes, of course they can. So I think there's some synergies and some efficiencies to be found when you start combining the administrative functions of this board. And that's that's largely what my bill did. Now, it's gotten a lot of attention. Of course, we have between 63 and 151 different boards at, that issue licenses, depending on what you count as an occupational licensing board. So we're working on that. But I think my efforts there really brought to the attention of some members of the Sunset Committee some problems that we have with a lot of these boards and that all too often the Sunset Committee has in the past, in my opinion, simply rubber stamped the reauthorization of these boards. And so you saw Senator Gudgers, Senator Gavan, Senator Roger, uh, Roberts and others really take a hard look at some of the work that the Sunset had, had done and whether or not we needed to to pay more attention to some of these boards. So in Sunset, you saw some of these simply reauthorized for a year. Um, and then you saw some significant changes on one board, uh, the massage therapy board, um, that um, that really had, had garnered a lot of attention. So uh, Sunset Committee is doing its job, and that is to constantly look at these boards and whether or not they need to be reauthorized, whether or not they're following the law, whether or not they need 
a little bit more scrutiny. Um, and, and I think that combined with my piece of legislation will look at occupational licensing as a whole and whether or not we need to reform that. Of course, the governor has an executive order on this as well, and she's got a commission looking at on this. So we're, we are working in concert to try to get the ball rolling on reining in what I think is the last vestige of big government in Alabama. So your bill came out of your committee two weeks ago, I believe. What, how, when do you hope to see it on the Senate floor? What are those conversations like? You know, Mary, in all honesty, I think that this is a piece of legislation, not unlike police jurisdictions, that may take several chances to get passed. And okay. that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to get a piece of legislation out there to educate uh, your colleagues on the issue. And that's exactly what I intend to do here. Obviously, they're hearing from different constituencies. Some of that's, you know, good for the bill and some of it's bad for the bill. But um, they're becoming educated because of the attention on the issue itself. Um, I do hope that we'll get the bill uh, in better shape. It, there are some needed changes that as I become educated in all fairness as well on some of uh, some of these boards. And I intend to modify in some ways what passed out of committee in concert with um, a lot of the, the members that I've already mentioned um, that, that will continue to look at at this issue. But I do hope to get it on the floor probably towards the end of session and give it the due attention that it needs. But it is entirely possible this is not be a piece of legislation that passes this year. But I can promise you this is not something I'm going to let go of. And those that thought that I might with police jurisdictions should certainly um, use that as an example. We're going to stay on this and we're going to have occupational licensing reform in Alabama before the end of the quadrennium. Well, it, it it's an issue nationwide, really. And um, I, I I think that's interesting. You talk about, you know, it takes multiple years to pass. Um, you know, it's, you talk about last vestiges. That's an interesting way to talk about it because look, I was around for the 2010 Republican takeover and, you know, it, it was like Republicans said, we're, we're just going to change everything about the government that we don't like. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of government and, 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 and you know, including this, like, part of government that people don't really even know is there with the whole, you know, these boards that regulate industry. And, um, and, and like you said, with the massage board, I think there were some people that stood up and had some problems with Keith Warren, who kind of has a cottage industry uh, of all that, but um, it's, it's interesting. Well, it, well, it is Todd. And, and, you know, when you start getting into the specifics and, and telling people, listen, this is, this is government. But this is government that affects, again, 23 percent or so of, of our population in small businesses. But then there are certain private entities that are yeah. running government and, 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 oh, by the way, and, making big money off of it. And nebulous accountability. Like because, like, you know, the governor appoints some of them. Sometimes it's like the governor, the speaker, the lieutenant governor, like all that kind of stuff. Um, like and I, having worked in an administration and knowing all those folks. Like, I don't think they really love it. They don't really like appointing <laughs> all these people. And I don't think the Senate loves confirming them and, and, and all that. Uh, it's, so it's just this weird thing. And um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to be interested because this year, you know, first year of a new term, so much bandwidth is getting eaten up by the game plan, which we'll get to in a minute, economic development and other issues. So I think you're right in that, like next year or another year, 
where there's not some kind of acute, like big ticket item might be more conducive to a weedy issue like this to, to actually get a lot of people interested in it. And that's, um, and that, that's certainly my plan yeah, moving forward. Yeah. Well, let's um, get to the game plan. Okay, let's get to the game plan. Well, because you know, I'm kind of, I'm almost kind of tired of talking about it. It's just, I, was, I was telling Mary, it's like I was, I'm, I'm tired of saying ARPA. I was, ti- I was, I was tired of writing American Rescue Act plan. I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm tired of using sports hmm. metaphors and, and hearing them. But, but the reason I bring it up is, look, this all, this all is passed. Um, it's all state law now. But there was this the, the one kind of controversial thing about it was the tourism piece. So I hope I was hoping that you could kind of walk us through what happened on the. It's the only reason that there were six no votes in the Senate. So could you walk us through what happened with the tourism piece? We can, but I, I'm not sure it's the only reason there were six no votes in the Senate. I'm oh, okay. a, a little bit issue with that because I do mm-hmm. think there are some members that had a problem with the tourism piece, but I think there's some that just have a problem with economic development incentives period right i think we heard a little bit of that on the floor yesterday yeah so i I think i think part of that is true but i think there are also some that we're just going to be no anyway and well look you know senator senator Orr has to find better ways to express himself than to run over the first baseman of the house of representatives (laughs) that's softball okay i don't know where he learned to act like that i can't imagine (laughs) anyone doing something like oh that's right that's right so yeah, uh, you know, on the on the tourism incentives, uh, you know, the governor had her game plan um, for the last six months or so. The tourism industry in Alabama has been talking about the existing language in uh, the Jobs Act that you know previously that dealt with tourism, and that uh, that it didn't work very well, and that it was modeled after uh, manufacturing facilities that. In the manufacturing world, the the developer and the owner and and the employer who employ the operator who employs the employees are usually all the same person, right? You got Toyota Mazda that owns the thing that developed the plant that that uh, that operates the plant and that pays the employees. Well, that's not really how tourism works, right? You have a developer that develops the venue, but then may have an operator, a hotelier that operates the hotel, or may have a tenant that operates whatever the tourism venue is, or the restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to tie the big capital investment made by the developer into the jobs directly because they're not the employer. So we looked at really that relationship and just how it differed from manufacturing and said, okay, the existing tourism incentive has been used in one location. And it's actually in my district. It's in at, at Owa that the Porch Creek Indians operate. But that was the only place it had ever been used. And it's only been used there because Owa's a little different and PCI's a little different in how they do things. They developed and owned and operated and employed, but most tourism destinations don't work that way. So the rest of the tourism industry really wasn't able to use the incentive that as it currently exists. So to go on with your um, your sports analogies, we called an audible in the house and uh and change change things up a little bit <laughs> and uh, we're able to introduce in committee uh, with uh with representative baker and representative garrett working closely with both of them a um some significant language uh towards the end of the jobs act that that laid out what a tourism destination was what was to be incentivized what it had to do how much in, how much capital investment had to be and there were three separate levels of that local participation in it, 
to really incentivize around the state of Alabama tourism, which is a huge industry, not just in my district, but around the entire state. And we um, were able to get that on committee in the um, in the House. I was pleased with that. It came up to the Senate. Um, Senator Orr, the chairman of the uh, Education uh, Trust Fund budget, uh, attempted in his committee to amend uh, the uh, the legislation, specifically the tourism portion of it, to really raise the um, the, the limits uh, or the entry points uh, from about thirty million dollars to sixty million dollars or so, and then increase significantly the um, the local participation from twenty percent to fifty percent. And there were some other changes. Frankly, I've never seen Senator Orr's amendment, so I can't speak to other than what I kind of heard, you know in the state house i never saw it and i don't know that he shared it with anybody outside the committee but the the committee voted down the chairman's amendment which is of note um yeah kind of rare it, mm -hmm. it is it is and i'm i am appreciative that my colleagues saw the value in in tourism industry as a significant driver in economic development and i'm pleased with with um what's in the bill that the governor signed and i think that we're going to see projects around the state, really uh, impactful projects that may have been on the bubble before in some of our smaller towns um, that may not have necessarily gone, but can really transform a, a place. I, I look at, um, at some of the developments around Lake, Lake Gunnersville, for instance, that have popped up here recently and think, you know, Gunnersville is not you know, just a, hey, let's go to the lake. Now it's the place to live and there are things to do there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, great restaurants and, and it's, it's, it's really become something because of city docks and what's, what's been developed down there. And I think that you may see more types of projects like that around the state that really are place-making projects for municipalities and will help people help those municipalities grow and be, and be destinations as well. Does that, does that include film I know the film office is part of tourism sort of adjacent, but like the film office and like recruiting. Um, it, it does not. Pictures. That's a good okay. question. There's, it does not. There's a big push. And, and this goes more into the, uh, into the weeds, if you will, yes. about how to, how to get legislation done. Right. So I expect the film incentive to be a separate piece of legislation, but I expect it to probably see some pretty stiff opposition. Um, and that was why I was so keen in making sure that this big economic driver that is the tourism industry, and it is undeniable how many, you know, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars um, we, we pump into uh, tourism pumps into the, the state coffers. I was very keen on that being part of the Jobs Act, and I was very pleased to make sure that that was included um, in the game plan when it was signed, if it wasn't in the game plan when it was presented. Interesting. Okay. So what, um, the game plan is done. Uh, you guys did ARPA early on. Those are two significant things to, to get done this session. Um, still need to move the budgets, but what, what's the next week look like? What, what's next for y'all? So the big pieces, Mary, I think are going to be obviously the budgets and and some real and, and, and the supplementals. So you got budgets and then you got the supplementals and all this extra billions of dollars mm -hmm. kind of floating around. Where do we go next from here uh, and what do we do with that? And 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 I think that a, a large part of that conversation is going to be centered around the governor called for rebates in her state of the state address. 
I don't see the appetite specifically in the upper chamber for rebates, mm -hmm. um, almost universally. And how we manage what the governor has kind of put a stake in the ground on and what the legislature, I think, wants to do is going to be kind of an interesting dance. Um, I, I do think we're going to have a big conversation about grocery tax and how we do that um, and and how fast we do that and what guardrails are there to make sure that we don't put our budgets in danger. We acknowledge we have surpluses, but we also acknowledge that there may be some, um, you know, some challenges ahead and, and we need to take some action on reducing taxes because that's what good conservative Republicans do. But we also don't want to give away the world so that we end up in a spot where we have budgets that are in trouble. So I think that the interplay between the two of those is going to be very interesting. And I think those, you know, the budgets and the grocery tax conversation are going to be really the big issues moving forward as we get into the second half of the session. Yeah, lots of lots of complications there. I feel like we almost you know, didn't do y'all any favors, us in the media, because grocery tax starts getting this momentum, which is, is real. It, it really is. And but then it's like I had uh, Chairman Garrett on the show the other day uh, on the TV show the other day. And, and um, he's <laughs> like the like the CPA that he is, like the, like the CFO that he is. He starts walking through all the little tentacles that all the very complicated factors that go into that i'm like okay yeah this is very um complicated and, and difficult weedy? Not, not is exactly. it weedy? yes it's very it's very <laughs> weedy. um well hey real quick because we're we're, all, we're all running out of time we want to be um just, you know thoughtful about how much time we're taking of yours um i'd be remiss if i didn't ask about bridges and roads and things like that um and what what I'll, I'll frame it like this. Uh, I was on the road to Birmingham the other day, and I think I tweeted out how we I was stuck in traffic. And the lieutenant governor has, you know, we want to, you know, six lane from, you know, from the from I ten to the to the Tennessee line and all that. So, and, and it sort of got this Twitter conversation started. And I was on the radio talking about that um, with with uh, up in North Alabama, and they're like, "Yes, why why not do this? Why not do this?" I'm like, "Well, look." It's it's not like you just snap a finger and you and roads get built. You do you remember what happened in 2019 with rebuild and like how big of a deal that was to pass a gas tax and like things cost money. And like if you want any evidence of this, talk to Mobile, talk to the coast where this bridge project has been going on. So I guess that's sort of the way I'll put it to you: is people want roads they want bridges um they want better infrastructure but the minute it comes to like paying for it oh no well that's that's not you know maybe the feds can do it or something like that so when you talk to your constituents about the bridge project or about interstates or anything like that is there sometimes a disconnect in like what the state can afford and what it can't and and what the public's role in that is I think there's a frustration more than anything else, right? So we, at least in my district, and, and I think in faster growing or, or more metropolitan areas around the state, there is a frustration about priorities for transportation spending with this administration. Um, and I think, 
you know, when you talk about the West Alabama corridor and, and things of that nature and what will likely be a billion dollars worth of projects there, I think you, you have a lot of frustration with people going, why don't we just widen I-65 instead? And wouldn't that benefit a whole lot more people than doing some West Alabama, you know, adventure over here? And I think that the, the lieutenant governor, and, and I'm telling you, I'm excited about Will Ainsworth's uh, leadership style eventually. I mean, that guy is not afraid to make a decision, not afraid to get, get his hands dirty and, and not afraid to take a risk. And that's, that, that, that matches with my personality very well, obviously. Um, but I think he's tapped into something and that is, you know, people want things to get fixed and, and they want, they want the problems to get fixed in areas that impact the most people. And they think that's where the money ought to be spent. Mm-hmm. And so, so, well, something like that. So like the, the West Alabama corridor, cause there was a press conference, I guess the work's going on. What does the legislature have any way? Like if you, you obviously aren't pleased about that. I've, I've heard that from several others. Is there a way that y'all could just maybe even through the budget process say, Hey, we're not doing this. You know, there's a hesitancy to do that, and there are some constitutional issues. I mean, that is the purview of the governor and and the transportation director to set transportation priorities. I mean, we appropriate money to the State Department of Transportation in the general fund budget, but the the, the State Department of Transportation budgets and makes budget priorities for that. It's not it's not like and I know you spend a lot of time in Washington. There are all these earmarks throughout the budget for you know this project <laughs> or that project. Um, as a legislator, I would I would like to do that more often. Um, as a citizen, I can see how that would get very problematic very quickly. Um, so I, I don't know that we need to change that, but we do need an administration who has as a priority investing in areas of the state that are generating revenue and 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 moving commerce so that we can continue to grow uh, the coffers of the state of Alabama for the benefit of all Alabamians. But you it's just it's a very business like approach to say these areas are growing. These areas are of import when it comes to moving commerce. And that's where we need to invest. And if we have leftover funds, sure, we need to invest in these other areas to try to bring them up, too. Um, but it's not the best return on investment, in, in my opinion, to be spending the, the amount of money we are in in other areas of the state when we have critical needs. Um, yes, like I-10 bridge from home, but like like you know, six laning I-65 from one end of the state to the other. And I commend the lieutenant governor for getting out in front on that one. And I think that because of his leadership on that, um, we will all see that happen. And that will be great for everybody in Alabama. What is the latest with the bridge? So uh, the bridge is moving forward. Um, they are assessing, um, you know, the, the method for that and the contract teams for that. Um, there is still a fairly significant hole in the capital stack. That is the 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 the, the pots of money, right? Uh, that that it will take to complete this project based on its current price tag. And that is the other thing that I am concerned about as we look at projects statewide and prioritization. Is I'm not sure that the state of Alabama has the capacity to complete everything that's been promised right now. And I think that in the coming years, we as a state and and the administration, either this one or the next, is going to have to realize and admit that there is more 
to do, then there is money for it. And there's more that's been promised than there is money for it. And that's going, those are going to be hard conversations. So the feds have not come through with, you know, ALDOT was anticipating or hoping for a $500 million mega project grant um, from the feds to complete the capital stack here. I think that as we have seen the mega grant program that was in the IHA, the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, sorry, um, as we see the awards that are made out of those, no one's getting a $500 million mega grant. And so I think ALDOT is going to have to go back to the, um, really back to the, the, maybe not the drawing board, but they're going to have to figure out how to come up with more money um, to, to put into the capital stack to make that work. And, and Todd, frankly, that's what I've been saying since 2019. There needs to be an increased public investment in this project in order to make the figures work so that you don't have the outrageous tolls that were originally proposed by the administration. And and the administration's come around to that. They just haven't figured out how to have that increased public uh, you know, level of support. So we're trying to we're, they're trying to figure that out now. And I think that's that's the next big hurdle to get over. Uh, but after that, it ought to be off to the races. I think the bridge is going to get built. It's just a matter of figuring out, frankly, how we're going to pay for it. Did we go too small on gas tax? Did, should we have raised it a little bit more? I mean, nobody wants to say, yes, we should have raised taxes more. But I mean, just kind of this is just us talking, right? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> all but, but, but seriously, I mean, do you think they should have gone for more considering the need like you're talking about? Absolutely not. I mean, I really don't think so. And and I think, you know, it was a big chunk uh, to begin with. I think this is just a matter of prioritization. I mean, if, if I know where a billion dollars is, it's in West Alabama right now. You know, it's on this quarter to four lane of road in areas of the state that are decreasing dramatically in, in population. I don't mean to be flippant and I don't mean to say that we shouldn't do something, but there's a four lane highway that drive that in, in East Mississippi, not very far from West Alabama, and it's it is no traffic on it. It's just not used all that much, and it certainly hasn't hasn't made any economic development happen in that area. Why do we think there's going to be any difference here? So no, I don't think we should have raised. You know that we need more taxes. I think we just need a better prioritization in the use of the revenue that we have. Um, and and oh by the way, if you do that effectively, you get more revenue because things grow. But if you use that money unwisely, then you don't see the return on investment. You don't see the revenue increase and 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 you waste opportunity there, in in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we've we've gone way over our committed time. So thank you, <laughs> Senator, for uh, the generosity with your time. We appreciate well, I appreciate y'all having me on. I appreciate what y'all do. Um, y'all do a fantastic job covering uh, state politics and, and the, the state legislature. Always enjoy talking with you and, and certainly um, back and forth with Mary. And I'm just mm -hmm. I'm really glad that y'all are here in a time when uh, coverage uh, is waning and journalism is kind of a question mark. Sometimes y'all are the mm -hmm. real deal. And I, I just appreciate y'all being part of the process. Thank you very much, sir. We Thank appreciate you, you and appreciate your time. That was great. Yeah, he has lots of man. I get good guests. I'm good yeah. at this. Well, but I, I, I'm sorry. I sort of I felt like I was sort of talking over you or, or talking too much. But I just I, no. I, I got my my curiosity came back. Yeah, Maybe. no, no. He, he we covered a lot of ground. Um, that was that was great. He's 
been involved in a lot of a lot of big big bills, big big pushes lately. Yeah. So it's fair to say that Chris Elliott ruffles feathers, right? I mean, th- he, you know, he um yeah. Like Fair, he, he make he makes sure to like compliment the governor on like the red tape stuff and like game plan and stuff like that. But yeah, he's he's tough he's on not, her. Not a fan with, of that highway is what I took right. away from this. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like, yeah. So I don't know. It, there are different types of you know politicians and lawmakers yeah. and things, and uh, some some really try to play nice and. And maybe sort of under the table, they'll they'll say nice things to your face, but under the table, right? We'll we'll try to get you. I think he's more sort of no. He's gonna say it to up. your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's gonna say it to your face repeatedly. So, um, and, and I we didn't really plan to talk about the bridge, but I thought we that, that was some good insight of to you know the how how possible it is. With yeah, the, the likelihood and all that. And that is like the. <laughs> The bridge, you know, I kind of compartmentalize that because it's South Alabama and I I only have so many things I can think about at one time. But that is such a huge deal. And like you said, it's huge for the entire state, even though it is South Alabama. Yeah. And when we complain on I-65, like when I, the whole conversation got started over, you know, I'm driving to Birmingham and, it, and the traffic starts in Clanton. You know, yeah. it's just like, it, it's insane. It takes three hours to drive to Birmingham on I-65. Well, talk to the people on the coast. That's the tunnel every day. Yeah. Um, because the tunnel is just so inadequate and such. It was just a bad idea to begin with. But um, so, yeah, the 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 bridge, the the I-10 problem is real. And, um, and just like, you know, there's so many folks down in Mobile, down in Baldwin County that they, they see Montgomery is like, y'all not, y'all are not paying attention to our issues. Same sure. thing goes on in Huntsville. Same thing goes on in Dothan. Mm-hmm. Every little area of the state outside Montgomery thinks that the state isn't paying attention to them. Um, but I think it's especially acute in, on the coast where they think that it's a whole different state. And where do, do y'all see us down here? So, right. Anyway, and, and so, they, I mean, you know, he, he makes the point repeatedly, but he's not wrong. I mean, Baldwin and Mobile, they generate a lot of money for for the state, for the general funds. Um, so, yeah, to feel ignored probably is pretty irksome. I think that Bucky's alone probably generates a lot, a significant <laughs> amount of uh, tax revenue. <laughs> I got trapped in that Bucky's parking lot for like 45 minutes once because it was, <laughs> there were so many people. I'm supposed to, we're supposed to go over to the, to the Auburn one. So they just built one in Auburn. Yeah. And, um. But it's on this side of Auburn, and it's actually our oh. exit the way we go to tailgate and everything. Oh, okay. And the basketball games and everything. And so I'm, I'm, I've never been inside of one. I'm what? really excited. I've never been. Yeah. Inside. I've been in a parking lot, and I, was, I think I was yeah. a little intimidated. Uh, it's, but. it's an experience. I, <laughs> we've got one um, about 45 minutes north of us in Georgia, and last. December after Christmas, I was bringing the kids home from Michigan and we were driving. We'd been in the car for like 14 hours. I had to stop and get gas. And I was like, all right, there's a Bucky's kids. So like my kids are tired and 
you know, been in the car forever. It was groggy and grumpy. <laughs> that was not the time to take them into Bucky's because it is so big and so overwhelming. And Gracie's like, is this an amusement park? And I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, here's some beaver nuggets. Mary, but <laughs> Mary, this just sounds like a 90s commercial for <laughs> Bucky's. Like, you just, you just wrote like a commercial. Yeah, for right. I will say, though, they have huge bathrooms and you can fit two little kids in a bathroom. That is what that is what a mom looks for on road trips. <laughs> Got it. Interesting. Well, so now we have um, the petroleum con and convenience marketers of Alabama. Yeah. Are, are, are a are advertising in the daily news now. And I, when, when they were like, I was having conversations with them. I was like, does this include Bucky's? Like, yes, it includes <laughs> Bucky's. Like that's what everybody asks is like, yes, yes, it does include Bucky's. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we can uh, I'm, figure something out on that front. Yeah. That's, that's a new project. Well, looking towards next week, one thing we did, um, I mean, it's, it's funny. Senator Reed, uh, Pro Tem Reed was gaggling with the press corps uh, yesterday, and the, like one of the first questions was, uh, "How many weeks or how, how many days how many next days? week?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like three day week again. He's like, <laughs> I, "I can confirm that it's only a two day week." Wow! And everybody rejoiced. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem like it should make that much of a difference, but it does. Well, and and to be fair. Because, you know, we wrote about this for Inside Alabama Politics, and I was kind of wrong about, uh, in, in some ways, uh, some nuance to that. But um, so they're doing these three day weeks, but the, you know, meaning Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all in the chamber, meaning, you know, staff has to get spun up about all that. And typically they don't, you know, on Wednesdays, it's only, it's, it's typically reserved just for committees, which is a huge deal. Like, yeah. 20, seven committees can meet, you know, and, and, and that takes staff and everybody to, you know, you know, figure all that out. So when you also go into the chamber, it's just a, it's very uh, frustrating uh, and very straining. Um, but to be fair, in the last couple of weeks that they've been doing this, it's kind of been a pro forma meeting day. Yeah. Right. So like right. they'll, they'll, they'll go into the chamber, you know, gavel in say the prayer say the pledge and like hear resolutions and then and then leave yeah. and so that's not exactly a tough yeah, staff not, not there day. till midnight passing big bills right and 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 you know what i i feel like what part of what they're doing is because because in the old days it'd be like well why did you do that why did you burn this legislative right. day but i think there's an acknowledgement in the legislature that they don't need, they don't really want to use all their legislative days anyway. They kind of want to end early. Mm -hmm. And so just go ahead. But, but they certainly don't want to end in late May or early June. With this on the table. All, right. Yeah. Days only, like, haven't only met 24 days or something. So right. it's a bad look. It, yeah. Even if, you know, even if you get your significant bills passed, because there's always bills that won't pass that don't pass that die and then you know well why didn't this pass if you had three days left it's yeah it's just exactly. not a good look exactly and then well i, I brought this up with um senator uh barfoot because like you just said well we 
what's the, what's the phrase? Well, we ran out of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we passed it in the Senate, but it ran out yeah. of time in the House. Well, it's not much of an excuse when you're burning days yeah, in right. April, you know. But that's just, that's for us insiders to kind of know. And, and then yeah. and when everything ends, it'll it'll all be fine. But, uh, but that, And that's the other thing. The legislature doesn't want all these bills to pass. Right. Right. There's right. plenty of folks that are trying to kill bills. And right. so for, for oh, the there'd session, be a ton of people that would be happy if they passed the budgets and went home before Memorial Day. Absolutely. And and which brings up a whole other point. Like they, they wait to pass the budgets because there's that BIR, the budget isolation resolution. Right. One extra vote, one easier way to kill bills. So right. it's it's not all about pass this, pass that. Like there's a there's a, a uh, I don't know, method to the madness, I suppose. Exactly. Well, at this point, I'm definitely rambling, so we should probably end it. Well, but speaking, <laughs> we should say that speaking of budgets, though, it, with everything else going on last week, the general fund got its first vote in committee on Wednesday. Yeah, um, and some changes. And a few changes, yeah. To the supplemental, a, yep. Uh, there's a slight increase in the, in the general fund to just over $3 billion, and the supplemental was increased a little bit um, as well to 200, just over $200 million. Um, but yeah, in, you know, there's so much going on that, you know, general fund passage used to be headline, or at least committee vote would be headline news, and now we're like, oh yeah, good job guys. <laughs> <laughs> Rex Reynolds getting his first yeah. crack of the bat. Yeah. So that's interesting. Well, um, and and the soft we mentioned it earlier, but the softball game was fun. And I don't know if ever, I, I sort of assume that people know what I'm talking about, but maybe they didn't. When I talk about Arthur Orr, Senator Orr, early in the game, he got a he was like had a base hit to first base and just got in this very <laughs> Uh, aggressive. I mean, I don't think it was anybody's fault, but he just he kind of trucked uh, <laughs> Representative Yarbrough, uh, who was who was on first base. You know, man, uh, assigned to that base, and it was Yarbrough was on the ground for a while. And oh, it was, geez, it was. It looked like it hurt. Oh, and I, Again, it wasn't on purpose, but if you just looked at it, it was like, yeah, Senator, are you okay? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's going to. He was going to first. Uh, with intention. <laughs> anyway. Well, it seemed, it seemed like a cool event and for a good cause. So Everybody's got to blow off steam. And yep. it, it, was, it was fun. All right, Mary. Thanks for a good pod. Yeah. For a good guest. Yeah. It, uh, it was fun. Appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Yeah. See you next time. Bye-bye.